you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Super excited because we have a special guest today, and it's uh, my wife and also the vice president of our company, Restaurant Rockstars. Welcome to the show, Thea. Thanks. I'm super psyched to be here. Usually I'm behind the scenes. Yeah, well, we have lots of conversations off the record. Uh, We dine out quite a bit, and we have two different perspectives about what we see and experience in restaurants usually. What do you think about that? Well, I think, like, I would love if we could be recording podcasts on our way home <laughs> at night as we're talking about the different our different takes on it because I feel like you sometimes look at it from the business side of things when we leave a restaurant and I look at it from a customer perspective and sometimes we totally agree and other times we have different perspectives on what we see. And one of the questions that always comes to my mind with any particular restaurant, whether it was really great or not, was how did this business get started? Like how, what was the person's initial concept? Did the restaurant stay with that same integrity of the initial concept? Did it evolve? And when we go to certain restaurants and they're spectacular and out of this world and they're super busy, then we go to other ones and we think, gosh, how is this business even still alive? Mm-hmm. I always go back to how did the business get started? Like who started this restaurant? What was the process they went through? What was their grand idea? Because I think most of the time when someone starts a restaurant, it's because they either have a bright idea um, that doesn't already exist, or it's an idea that exists, but they think they can do it better. Well, there are those mom and pop restaurants that start because of grandma's secret recipe. Right. There are those chef-owned restaurants because chefs had worked for other restaurants for a long time and they always wanted to own their own place and put their own stamp on it. And you can't blame them for that. Right. right? And then you've got entrepreneurs that see opportunity and, you know, they think they can either improve upon an existing concept or they've got a whole vision in their mind of what could be in a location and it's like this picture in their mind, I can make that happen and... They go through all the steps to start it. So let's talk about a couple of different those. Let's imagine, because I think one of the frequent um, scenarios is a chef. A chef who is, is a phenomenal cook. They make great food, but they've never run a restaurant. They've always worked for other people. And I think inevitably, they almost always want to start their own restaurant. So what do you think... If someone has been a chef with their focus being on the quality of the food, uh, interesting menu ideas, that sort of thing, what are some of the things that they really need to become aware of if they've never been the one actually running the restaurant? Well, I think that comes down to leading by example, because if you're a chef and you open a restaurant, you have to recognize that you're not just cooking the food, but you also have a team of other people you're going to rely on in all the other support positions to run that restaurant, whether you can afford managers right off the bat, or you just have a service team and other prep cooks, and right down to the dishwashers, but you need to somehow motivate and inspire those people to fulfill your vision of what that restaurant could be and not just focus on cooking. Right. And now the bottom line lands with them. Right. All the finances that maybe they I think often they do have to report to an owner or or a management team about their food costs and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think often they write their own book for that. Right. They're not not all restaurants take that into consideration. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen lots of busy restaurants that just aren't making money for a variety of reasons. And there are restaurants out there that really want to put on a show and put out pretty delicious food. And they think of their place as more of an art gallery. And then there's those places that are more like production facilities that, you know, are high volume and you've got to crank a lot of food through there. But the numbers have to work and there's everything in between. So maybe one of the first things that they could do if they're a chef that isn't used to costing out their menu to the penny, that would be a great place to start, right? Even if their existing, um, the existing owner isn't requiring that of them. If it were me and I was going to launch off and do my own restaurant and I was the one responsible for the money and the bills, I'd want to know what that was. Well, it's interesting you say that because if you're a traditionally trained chef and you go to a culinary institution, they're teaching you not only the culinary cooking skills, but they're also teaching you the business aspects, knowing that a lot of these chefs are going to end up running their own places. And then there's the apprentice chefs that just start working in the business. Maybe they started as a dishwasher and they're wake their, you know, they work their way up through different line positions, but they've never actually learned the numbers side. They've just gotten more and more responsibility on the cooking side and they clearly need to augment that knowledge with the financials because the costing of the menu is pretty important. Right. Even if you're not a numbers person. Because right. I think, right, like we all resist what doesn't feel natural to us. So if I was really great at cooking or I had this really great concept idea, I'm not a, a numbers person. So I would find that really tedious. But I think the more used to it you get and when you realize what you actually get out the other end of putting proper numbers in, and the financial impact it can have on your restaurant, maybe it becomes a little more interesting. Well, it's empowering, but you could say the same thing about the marketing side. You know, it's not enough to put out great food and to have a, a solid profit position, but it's also important to be continually marketing and you know, getting people in the door all the time. And now in the age of social media and online reviews, that's more important than ever. Right. So the chef not only has to come up with the great recipes and run the kitchen, they have to know what the food costs are and they have to know the menu, but they now have to be the one in charge of the marketing ideas. It's, you know, before often when you're just a chef, then, um, you know, people show up and you dazzle them, but now you have to be the one making sure they show up. Well, that's when you need a partner or a solid general manager. And a lot of people go into business together because they have, uh, you know, shared skills, but they also have their own unique, well, you would call it a zone of excellence or even a zone of genius where, it's a complementary situation where one takes care of one side of the business, the front of the house, another takes care of the back of the house, and then, you know, maybe somebody else does the marketing. But yeah, I mean, you know I'm, I'm frequently talking about this is a business of a thousand details, and it really is. Right. So what if you're a chef and you are super popular and solid chef and you're, you've decided it's time to launch out on your own? Where do you go about starting with the finances if that isn't something that you already have? If you know you can be successful, but but you don't have the backing or you don't have the savings or, um, or whatnot, for whatever reason, you don't have the access to um, the funds, like what would you suggest for a chef who's like, I, I'm phenomenal and I'm a great leader and I think I could have a great restaurant, but I just don't have any money right now. Well, it's amazing 
who your customer base is, especially if you're a noteworthy chef, not necessarily a celebrity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a chef that has a following where people really understand and appreciate, you know, the food and the talent of this chef. So he's got a customer base. And among that customer base, you'd be surprised at how many people are, you know, passive investors in businesses or they want to get involved in the restaurant business. It's really about getting to know who your customers are and you know, you, you might even find, as we did, that someone very close to us would be interested in even buying the business. So I would say it's that close to home. Right. Yeah, don't count anyone out. Yeah. And especially if it's someone who's your biggest supporter. Definitely. And that following will follow you. So if you're putting out amazing food and you, and you become this noteworthy chef, if you suddenly leave the restaurant you're working at to start your own place, the marketplace is going to talk. There's going to become buzz for that. And uh, that's the fun part, really, right? There's so many exciting challenges in actually opening the doors to that first place and putting your personal stamp on it. And now we're talking about concept. Do you think they need to have a formalized business plan? Like, do they need to, especially if numbers isn't their thing, what do you suggest they present to people to say, hey, other than here's my concept, this is what I'd like to do, I'm going to open my own place, it's going to be great and shiny and awesome, what sort of... Um, backing or um, projections do you think they need or do you think sometimes they really don't need any they can just intuitively fly with it uh you know that i'm never anything about intuition it really is so ingrained in me to put down projections because it's like a roadmap to where you want to go and without a roadmap you're literally flying blind it can't just be information in your head and you have a conversation with a potential investor saying oh these are my ideas and this is what I want to do because they're then gonna say what's the you know what's the return on investment and how are you gonna get new customers in the door how are you gonna boost your online reviews how are you gonna keep your costs in line I mean these are questions that any you know, relatively sophisticated investor are going to ask. Right down to the, the local bank. I mean, you might walk in the door to a bank and, and try to get a loan and they're going to require a business plan. That's There's just no way around that. If you've got a friend that's a wealthy investor that knows you well and, and knows you've got integrity and knows you've got skills, maybe they would take a chance on you, but I still think they're going to ask those questions. So they're getting the projections from their from their existing restaurant, or I mean, if you've never been one to run projections and you need to write all of this out, yeah. where do they start? Well, there's a formula for everything, and it can be as simple as the proposed space, because obviously you're going to have a space in mind. You, you look either for a restaurant that's for sale right now, you look for a space that used to be a restaurant that's vacant right now that you're going to lease for a while. And you see how many seats are in the place and then you project based on your menu and what the price point you're going to charge, how many covers per night do you think you can do on an average basis, you know, per week? And that's going to give you a pretty good in indication of what your revenues are going to be. And then knowing how many staff are going to be on the floor, both in the front and the back of the house, times the going average wage rate that you're going to pay, you can put those basic numbers together and do, you know, monthly and yearly projections. And investors are going to look for a minimum of three years of realistic projections, not pie in the sky. Right. Because it's easy to make that up. Or I think in general, it's easy to be optimistic, right? Like what do you do? Right, right. Like what happens when the chef does his due diligence and he says, you know, well, based on this location and he works out his projections and then you find the first year, he's not meaning any of them. 
Well, there is such another formula called the daily break-even that is sort of the basis for this discussion also. And that just tells you at what point how much dollars you have to bring in every single day in an average week to not make money and not lose money where you're literally at the break-even point. And, you know, that's a formula unto itself. It's not too complicated, but you literally make a list of all of your expenses on a monthly basis and then divide by 30. And you think of absolutely everything right down to trash removal, utilities, all that sort of thing, payroll, cost of goods, uh, rent, mortgage, you name it. You list every single expense you're going to have, divide by 30, and that's going to give you an idea of what your break-even is. And then if your reasonable or your worst-case scenario projections at least meet that break-even point, then I think you're in the ballgame. How soon should they expect to break even? I mean, you're not talking the first month in business, no, or are clearly. you? No, no, no. I mean, break-even can, can take... It depends on the concept. It depends on the number of seats. It depends on the average check. It depends if there's a bar business or not. I mean, every concept is different. So there's no average time, you know, for a restaurant to break even. But obviously, the higher the revenues and the lower the cost, the quicker you're going to start to make money and, and generate positive cash flow. So, um, so say a chef has all of that in place. What do you think a reasonable time frame would be from, I'm currently working at this restaurant, but I have this great idea, to... Welcome to my new restaurant. I would say that process at the minimum would be 10 months to a year, realistically, to transition out to have enough time to spend on, you know, market research and finding a space and figuring out the menu and starting to hire staff and doing renovations and buying equipment if you need equipment. It's probably at, the, at a minimum 10 months to put all the pieces in place to grand opening. Got it. Okay, so now let's talk about someone who isn't a chef. In fact, let's talk about someone who has no restaurant experience. Um, and I think there's there's still two prongs to this. There's the person who has no restaurant experience but a great idea and no money. And then there's the person who has no restaurant experience, a great idea, and some backing or access to money. So I, th those are still two different things. But if you are, if you either have money or no, whether you do or not, and you have some killer idea, probably I'm guessing most of the time to meet your own needs, <laughs> or you see a, you know, potential like you did when you, you know, first moved to a ski town that didn't seem to have a nightlife. I mean, some people just recognize that there's an idea. They talk to all their friends. Everybody wants the same thing. It doesn't exist. So, okay, we're going to do this. Um, what are some things they should look at? Because now you're talking about someone who has no restaurant experience. So obviously they don't know how to do these projections. They don't know the ins and outs of what it costs to run a restaurant, but they also, they're not a chef. They don't even have the recipes or the, um, you know, the knowledge the chef has. So where do they start? Well, again, it comes down to being a student in your restaurant, before you open the doors, before you commit a ton of money to this project, read a few books, I mean, or go online. I mean, there's so much information out there. I mean, even the systems that, that we have on at restaurantrockstars.com are comprehensive, how to save time, how to save money, avoid all the headaches, and really dig into what's most important in order to give your you know, yourself the best chances for success. And then you need a real point of differentiation in the marketplace because let's face it, this is a really competitive business. There's a thousand restaurants in any given city or more. What's going to make your restaurant stand out? And not only for the initial buzz when you first open, but what's going to sustain you over the long haul that's going to keep customers coming in and happy and you know spreading your praises so that you've got a steady clientele and you're making money. All those things are important. 
And if you are just the investor person, someone who's always wanted a restaurant, but you don't really want to be the one running the restaurant, um, maybe you have a concept, that sort of thing. How, do, from a numbers perspective, I mean, how, where's the check and balance with that? How do I know that the person I've hired to run the restaurant, the chef, uh, the general manager or whatnot, who has the experience is actually doing well by my money? I mean, if I don't know anything about the restaurant business, what are some red flags or what are some um, easy checks and balances for me to make sure that they're doing the right thing? Well, I mean, that comes down to having a system so that you as the investor understand how profitable this restaurant could be based on key questions you would ask the chef. I would ask to see the chef's menu, um, the proposed menu, and then also it's as simple as asking him to cost out those dishes to show exactly what it costs to put that plate in front of the customer, every single item, category by category, and then what you plan on charging the customer for the ultimate price point that the customer pays for the dish, and then you divide those two and it's gonna give you a food cost percentage and it's also gonna give you a profit per dish when you subtract what it costs you to put it out from what you're charging the customer. I mean, I would do that as a minimum exercise for at least the key entrees that are gonna generate the biggest source of revenue for the restaurant. And that's gonna tell you if the chef understands you know, menu costing, and then we can go down the whole road of is this menu profitable or not? Because in a lot of the consulting that I do, I see that a lot of low profit items are the biggest sellers in restaurants and they're taking away sales from higher profit items. And that's kind of the kiss of death, you know, because there can be a huge spread on an entree. You could be selling a lower profit item and losing a 6 or $7 profit for what you could have been selling for some of those higher profit items. And that's where either staff training comes in, where you, you know, the staff are so well educated about the menu, they're suggesting what they know the customers are going to enjoy, but also leading them into those more profitable items. But I would dig deep and just redesign a menu so that everything contributed a similar profit. And then you only have to worry about not having a waste problem or a theft problem where as long as you're moving the merchandise, you're making a similar profit on everything you sell. And those are some pre pretty critical foundational steps to put into any restaurant menu. So what would be that minimum? If I, if I, so if I'm the investor and I say, okay, I want you to show me a profitable menu, what is the percentage to say every dish should be at least what percentage profitable? Well, you know, a lot of newbies or a lot of restaurants confuse uh, food cost with profit. Let me give you an example. Everyone knows that, uh, you know, Mexican food and Italian foods have traditionally low food costs. So if you're selling pizza and pasta dishes, your food cost is probably in the low to mid 20s. If you're selling steaks and seafoods and that sort of thing, your food cost is upwards of 35 to 40%. And the, the industry has been ingrained to think that a low food cost is the way to go, but a low food cost really comes from efficiencies in the menu design and selling real a lot of high profit items that drive those costs down. But here's the example I wanted to say. Would you rather sell a pizza that you charge the customer, say, $12 for, and you're making maybe a 4 or a $5 profit on that pizza, even though it has a 22% food cost, or would you rather sell a steak for $26 that costs you $7 to put it on the plate and you can see a much higher profit is it 14 15 16 dollar profit even though the food cost on that item is 35 or 40 percent you put profit in the bank not food cost so you need a balance between you know having a reasonable food cost but really focusing on profit and a lot of restaurants make that mistake well that also has to have something to do with volume right because obviously mm -hmm. i can turn and burn pizzas in some places 
or maybe you can't turn and burn steaks. So there, you have to take it's, that into consideration. It's all a balance, and that's now you're talking about the menu mix because I, I've always believed that a really successful menu strikes a balance between variety, appeal to the customer, and profit. And you need to hit all three to have a home run menu. And takeout potential. If you're choosing oh, yes. to do takeout, right? Great because point. I think that can be a huge part oh, yeah. of someone's business. Awesome. You might have a core sit down, eat in um, menu, but you may be able to augment that if you have the kitchen capacity to like you could sell a ton of those higher um, profit steaks inside and sell a ton of pizzas to go or you know something similar to that well you only have so many seats in your restaurant so if you've got a rock and takeout business it's like another profit center you know right? and, and you can't have too many profit centers so i totally support that go for a takeout business as well as a sit-down restaurant unless you're five-star fine dining and then you don't see too many takeout you know places that are you know four seasons quality food but you get the idea i think they can though especially if they package that if you can expect a five-star meal in your hotel room and some people are tired or or you're catering or you're having company or whatnot i think that there's a way to to package that to again if your kitchen has more capacity than your dining room that's a great situation because you really can, you know, add on that and then you don't have, you know, you just have the host and the order taking sort of staff for that. Well, now you're talking about a whole nother possibility because look at Wolfgang Puck's empire. Not only did he have successful high-end five-star dining restaurants, but now he has a national retail business in supermarkets across the country. You know, P.F. Chang's and Wolfgang Puck. I mean, the possibilities are endless. If you And now we're talking about brand building. Right. If you can build a really strong brand, the potential is limitless. Right. Yeah. See, I love that. <laughs> I love, I just love the idea of, Thinking about the basics and how someone um, starts and and where they go with it and what they have to take into consideration and why some restaurants are so successful and why some fail and close, which is always so devastating. I mean, every time we see a restaurant that's failed, breaks your heart. It breaks it? your heart because yeah. we know how much work it takes to go into it, mm -hmm. and you know that that was you know could have been Someone's their life dream. savings, oh, their yeah. dream, right. um, you know all of that. So we hate to see that happen. So I think that's one of the reasons this sort of conversation is super helpful for people, because if someone's listening and they do want to, whether they're a chef or an investor or just someone with a great idea, we don't want them to fail. So we want them to you know go in with these core concepts, um, at least at a minimum, that they've taken this sort of stuff into consideration? Well, I don't think we've really, I mean, those are all great concepts and ideas. We haven't really touched on the staff training piece and how important that is. Right, and whether they're going to be doing a quick serve or fast serve or have full service or for some restaurants, they have a combination of both. You can eat in, you can dine out. Um, and certainly the, the way the staff is trained for sure impacts the profits and the sales. Well, the staff are the brand, the cornerstone of the business, but they're also brand ambassadors for the business, and every single impression counts. And often, every impression determines whether or not you're going to get that customer back again, one, and two. Is that customer going to talk about your place to their friends and recommend your business, you know, on the online reviews and the social media and all that other stuff, plus the word of mouth, which I've always believed and still do is the most powerful, cost-effective form of advertising there is. Word of mouth will always be the biggest advantage if your staff are, you know, representing your brand well. And they're having fun. So you've done a ton of episodes on staff training, and I know we'll do so many more because they're so popular. But 
for today's episode, instead of going into the intricacies of the staff training, why don't we just touch on this person who's starting a restaurant and needs to essentially hire staff? I mean, maybe they're bringing some from a restaurant they've worked at. Maybe they know people in the industry. But what are some of the core criteria that you would recommend they look for in hiring someone? Is it all about how many years have you been a worked at a restaurant or like where do you start with that? I think a lot of restaurants go wrong and I talk about this all the time because you frequently no matter what the business is you're driving down the street in anywhere USA and you see the help wanted sign in the window with a business or you read the help wanted ads and it's loaded with uh, help wanted I need this I need that and that has not been a great way to hire because you get what you get and you don't know what you're going to get until that person starts working and it can be a disaster in so many areas. Instead I've never really hired for experience. I've always hired for their approach, their personality, their attitude, and a true desire to serve the public, whether they're front of house or back of house people, and you know the propensity to be a team player. And basing your business on teamwork and respect, leading by example, and demonstrating what the culture of the restaurant is, and just getting everyone to you know step up to that bar because ultimately everyone impacts the guest experience, whether they're a cook, a dishwasher, a host, a server, a busser, whatnot, bartender, everyone impacts the ultimate experience that the guest has. So we can train for experience, but we can't train for the desire to serve, the teamwork, the personality, and the attitude and approach. Those are the critical issues. And we've seen all of that, right? We've seen people that no matter how much training they got, they were just never going to be stellar. And then we've seen people that just had amazing personalities, needed a little bit of training, and when they got it, they got it. Now you're talking about the B team. You know, I've, I've always had a philosophy that every business has A's, B's, and C's. And you wish you had 10 A players because whether they have experience or not, they just get it. But they're super, super personable and customers, you know, they make friends with their customers every night. And the B's show that potential and promise. They just need a little polish to be great. And the C players are never going to assimilate the training. They're only there for the wrong reasons, collect a paycheck, and they really don't care about pleasing the guest. And that's a morale killer. So I've always recommended you get rid of the C's immediately. You focus on developing your B's and using your A team players to train your B's. And then pretty soon all you have is an A dream team staff. And that's when you got that, that's the magic formula right there. So you're looking for personality. I mean, we just had a recent episode the other night. We went out and we were meeting a friend for drinks who was in the area. And it was awesome because the bartender was phenomenal. He was an A-team for sure. And we were so excited to see our friend. And it was just one of those like classic awesome nights out that then we end up getting transferred to a table because we wanted to have more of a dinner. And then that server was not great at all and that was just such a buzzkill to our whole evening and the problem with that is that was the our end experience that was sort of the feeling we were left with correct when i compare and contrast that to the feeling of when we arrived again like we arrived he's fantastic he takes our drink order we're catching up with our friend like it was just so awesome and then by the time we left we were like ah like we were just so frustrated so isn't that human nature where negative experiences unfortunately take over and dominate positive ones so you're talking about our first experience at the bar was true hospitality defined and i learned a long time ago that hospitality is present when something happens for you. And we felt like we were special customers, even though the bar was full. We got fantastic service. We got recommendations. We had prompt, you know, whenever we needed another 
anything. I mean, it was right there. They were on every single detail. We felt like we were special. And it was effortless. He it wasn't was. trying. No, no, he was, was just being. His approach was just right on. I mean, it, it was clear that he enjoys being social and giving every customer just a great experience. And he was just dynamic. And then we went to the table and then suddenly hospitality was absent because things started happening to us instead of for us. And you can clearly see the difference. And I was a little surprised because the approach right out of the gate was good. The person made us, I ordered a gin and tonic and this particular uh, establishment uh, distills their own gin and this server recommended it and gave us some of the nuances of why I would enjoy it. And I'm like, wow, we're going to be in for a great yeah, experience yeah. here. And then that was the last thing that happened. He brought me the gin. I enjoyed it. But then, you know, disappeared for long periods of time, was not attentive, and the place wasn't packed or busy. And it was just his whole approach. And then it ruined the whole beginning of our right. experience right right to the end. And So maybe he was really contrast. a B player because he did start out strong and he did um, seem quite personable. And maybe he just got a bit in the weeds. And unfortunately, that can happen. And I think it's just one of the things to keep in mind. For sure when you talk about teamwork, that sometimes right. other players on the team can save yes. um, staff members that get into the weeds and right. save the whole experience for everybody. Well, that's cross-training. And, and we have, you know, our system, SalesStars, is all about choreographing the service and communication between those three critical front-of-house people. If you've got a full-serve restaurant, it's obviously the hostess staff that greet the customer. It's the bus staff that, you know, clear the plates and set, reset the tables and the servers that wait on the tables. And all three of those can give a very choreographed experience to every customer. And bussers can even make suggestions and, and bring drinks to the table and, and do increase the sales and help the server. But it, it really is all about teamwork and backing each other up so that no one's in the weeds and that every guest gets a great experience and isn't felt like one of the herders forgotten, which happened to us. Right, and that's for full serve or fast casual. I think it applies to either one. Right. And in this instance, truly, I think one of the biggest gaps, uh, you know, by the time we left the bar, we were hungry, and there was, I don't know, a 25-minute wait before from him coming to introduce himself to actually taking our order. Had we had, you know, tickets to a play or anything like that, it would have been significantly too long. I mean, luckily we were in a relaxed nature, but I think even if he had sent a host, a bus or someone over to the table to say, are you guys ready? Are you in a hurry? You know, something like that could have broken up that time period and, and made a difference just by asking a team member to jump in and help. So we'll see, we'll try him again and, um, and see how that plays out. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's always a good idea to tr give a restaurant a second chance and not just formulate that opinion saying, I'm never going back there. You know, far too many customers do that because everyone has a bad night. But it's just a word to the wise that, you know, every customer experience counts and every customer experience determines whether or not they come back again. And that's really the bottom line. So those details are critically important to your success. Right. All right. Well, I think that probably is it for today, right? That's sort of a wrap. But Another thing that I want to talk about, and there's just not enough time today, is the restaurant that gets started. So whether it's the chef or the investor, they get started and something's just not working. They're not as profitable. Um, and whether they recognize that early, I think there's a timing there um, that I'd love to talk about. The timeline between when, well, when you know enough is enough 
and it's just not going to be successful and you're just losing money and you're just going to continue losing money? And at what point can you step in and how drastically to turn around sort of a sinking ship? Like you had a great idea, you started it, maybe you didn't do your due diligence or maybe you um, misunderstood the restaurant cost or whatever it is. I think there's all these time periods in in the lifespan of a restaurant where people can make changes whether it's drastic because this is a sinking ship or whether it's just this is great and it can be even better, but some people become complacent. So I'd love to chat more about that on one of the next episodes um, because I think that there's uh, restaurant owners and managers in all parts of the restaurant lifespan out there. Um, And I think there's always, it's always a, it's a journey, it's an evolution and it's sort of a decision about whether to optimize, whether to save the ship, or whether just to let it go. Um, and that timing can be crucial to someone's bank account and their quality of life, to their staff, to everything. So I'd love to ch- chat about that sometime. That's what's so fascinating about this business. I mean, we could literally sit here and talk about a thousand different topics that affect a thousand different types of restaurants and mm-hmm. concepts. And that's what makes it exciting and fulfilling and that's why our work is, is so great that we really get to interact with a lot of these different restaurants, all different places around the world and, you know, share knowledge and share experiences. And it's a really it's a business based on passion. And if you're in it for the right reasons, whether you're a chef or a new operator, just make sure you're passionate about the business, because when you're passionate, you dig deep and you learn as much as you can. And you really want to provide a great living for your staff. You want to create a great experience for your customer. And then it's just a win win. And that's what the hospitality business is really all about. This was awesome. Thanks for having me on. I love, as you can tell, I love sort of probing into why some restaurants make it and some don't and why some make it and some knock it out of the park. Um, it's always just really fascinating to me. And I'm, whether it's a restaurant that we're consulting with, it's a restaurant we've been to, they're all so different. Um, and it's just, for me, a huge study and intrigue. So hopefully the listeners find that as well. Well, that was a great episode. Thanks for joining me, Thea. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.